Well, as I mentioned, this place is near and dear to my heart, <laughs> New City Covenant Church. Uh, your former pastors, John and Mary, are dear friends of mine. Uh, Mary invited me to go on a Sankofa trip with her recently. Sankofa means look back to look forward, so it was a tour of the, the Deep South Civil Rights Movement, and that was life-changing. I'm still unpacking that. And I spent many hours here in your sanctuary and in um, actually that back nursery room <laughs> in prayer. There's a lot of um, prayer retreats held here, and I always try to come to those when I can because the Spirit of God is alive and active here in this place, and I've experienced that for myself. So it's great to be here with all of you. Um, every year, I'm reminded that we have Advent, <laughs> right? Every year we have Christmas, and it feels like we were just having this. We were just having this last year. We were just putting up the tree, just decorating the tree. Um, so it's no surprise that this happens every single year. I grew up in a wonderful Christian household that didn't do much with Advent, actually. It was kind of um, starting the day after Thanksgiving, actually at midnight, I used to go out with my dad and we would go out and do the crazy shopping. Um, and then it was kind of this crazy rush of, of making cookies and decorating and preparations up till Christmas. And then it's kind of this mad rush to tear open the presents and then get the tree down by New Year's and life, life goes on. And we didn't really do much with this idea of, of Advent, and that I, now that I'm a grown person and I'm married and I've got children in my house with a home to decorate and traditions to, to start and carry on and things, I feel like I'm constantly fighting to slow down Advent because I want it to last longer. <laughs> There's so much meaning in this season that I, I always just want to extrapolate. And I never find that I get to Christmas and feel like I've gotten the full meaning out of this season. If you, know what, if you know what I mean, this is my, the, my favorite time of the year, and I always feel like I want more from it. I, I get to Christmas feeling like I want more. And so I, I usually come to Advent and Christmas um, sort of distracted, <laughs> and it is in that spirit that I, that I actually even come uh, this morning in my own preparations for Christmas. I feel distracted. I feel pulled in all these different directions. I want to sit in the, the depth of the, of the story of of Mary and Joseph and, and, and all the rest uh, in the Christmas story. And yet I also want to um, go buy presents for my kids and, <laughs> you know, and wrap them and do all that stuff. So I feel distracted. And it's through this lens of sort of trying to find meaning again in this, in this Christmas story that, uh, that I come this year and that I was struck by something new this year. And as I reread the familiar stories of Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and John and the angel Gabriel and all the rest, I was amazed in a fresh way this year at the characters of the Bible story's willingness uh, to let God use them to accomplish God's purpose, purposes. There was a willingness and a submission to all of these characters uh, of God's presence and activity in their lives where they just said, here, here I am, God, use me. And I was struck in a, in a new way by this this year. Because as we read through the, the Bible story, we have a series of characters whose lives were altered significantly by God's presence and activity in their lives. And they all responded um, in a way where they were honored and humbled uh, to be used by God for God's purposes. So these are stories about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and John but more importantly, this is one united story and unified story about Jesus and what God is willing to do to reach God's people in this world. So our passage today is on the angel Gabriel uh, being sent to Mary and Mary's response to the angel. 
And I want to read this uh, for you as we get started this morning and as we dive into this passage. So this is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Gracious and loving God, we thank you uh, for the gift of your word that you've promised will never fail. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus who came uh, into this world. God, for the light and the life and the hope that your son Jesus brings, we give you thanks. Lord God, please make your presence known to us today uh, in this place, in our families, in our communities. God, I pray that your spirit will be um, alive and, and real and active here in the sanctuary this morning as we dive into your word. God, may my words be your words, and may we all uh, live transformed uh, lives that seek uh, to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of this time spent together in worship. In your name we pray, amen. So in short, in this story, uh, this passage of scripture that we just read, the angel appears and tells this young girl who is engaged to be married that she's going to have a baby. Um, Jewish girls married young in those days, usually between the ages of 12 to 14. And I was um, impressing my family last night with this information over dinner, and my 14-year-old daughter just said, ugh, we don't need to talk about that now, Mom. (laughs) She was really horrified at the thought of being the same age that Mary probably was, um, my daughter, a freshman in high school, just we, none of us can really fathom the idea that you might be married off at age, at age 14. And this is who God chose to reveal himself to, this young girl, to, to literally physically carry the Christ child uh, in her body. So Mary was engaged to Joseph, uh, who was older. Um, engaged was a big deal in those days. Um, it, it's still a big deal. Uh, but today, it's, there's a chance that your engagement might be called off. You might change your mind, whatever. Back then, engagement basically meant you were, you were married. Except for physical intimacy, you were essentially married. So if you broke it off, you were divorced um, at that point. So that was, that was very significant that she was engaged to be married. And Mary was fully aware of of all of this and of who she was, a young woman promised in marriage to a righteous man uh, named Joseph. 
She also would have known what the consequences would be if she would become pregnant before the wedding ceremony. That's a very big deal. Joseph, from all accounts, uh, knew that the child wasn't his. Um, So if this happened, it did happen, uh, Mary would have been labeled an adulteress. Uh, I'm indebted to my my colleague at the Northwest Conference office, Ginny Olson, who's our director of youth ministry, uh, who shared some of these insights with me and also reminded me of a wonderful book that Scott McKnight wrote um, called The Real Mary, um, which talks about the consequences of a woman caught in adultery uh, in those days. And it helped shed some light for me on some of these historical truths and what this would have looked like uh, back then. According to the Torah, which uh, regulated Mary's life and the society around her, um, she could have been stoned to death for being caught in adultery. Uh, If the young woman denied wrongdoing wrongdoing, or said she had been attacked or or something, in other words, um, if the case was debatable, um, she was required to come before the priest, let her hair hang down, and drink the bitter waters, which was a mixture of dust, holy water, um, and an oath written on parchment that described the consequences, which is basically a a statement on on a piece of parchment paper that said something along the lines of, May the Lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb to miscarry and your abdomen swell. So this all would have been ground up into this bitter water that this woman would have had to drink. And if she was guilty, she would become sick. If she didn't become sick, she was acquitted. She would also be taken to a conspicuous place in the community, possibly by one of the gates where people passed by, and required to sit there as people especially other women, would pass by her and publicly shame her and make an object lesson of her. So there are no small consequences to this news that the angel is, is bringing to Mary. To be labeled as an adulteress um, is, is quite significant, uh, especially in those days. And Mary was acutely aware of all of this. She would have known all of these, these laws and these cultural norms uh, in her community, and, and she knew this when the angel told her her assignment that she was going to carry the Christ child. She was going to have a baby. And again, this was not just any baby. It was the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, the one prophesied about in Isaiah, and that all of the scriptures pointed to. Mary would have been waiting for this Messiah as well. She would have known about this. And here God reveals his plan to bring a Messiah, the Savior of the world, and reveals this plan to a young girl between the ages of 12 and 14. Uh, God didn't come with a lot of fanfare. He came quietly to an individual, to a young girl. And he sent an angel in private to this young female who lacked power, who lacked privilege, and who was in fact waiting to be married to a man named Joseph. God shows up, changes her life, and delivers the news that her life is going to look different because she has been chosen. She is favored to be a part of God's divine plan, a plan that would have come at great personal cost to her. And her response to all of this, knowing all of this, Mary's response was simply, may it be. May it be, God. She responds with this willingness and this submission and this understanding that there's something bigger and more significant at stake. We know now uh, through reading the scriptures that Joseph didn't require Mary to drink the bitter waters or to sit by the city gate and face public humiliation. In fact, we know from Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, that he sought um, not to disgrace her publicly. Joseph didn't want to expose her to this public disgrace, and he was planning to divorce her quietly. 
But Mary didn't know this when the angel visited her. All she knew was this encounter with the angel when the angel said, you will have a baby, the Christ child. And she had been called upon to give birth to the hope of the world. And she was being asked to do this very hard, life-changing thing that would change the trajectory of her life. And she responded, may it be. And why did she answer this way? I mean, what was it about this young girl and who she was and her role in God's divine plan that would cause her to respond that way? I think a few things. Um, One, because she knew this God. She knew God. And she knew God's history with her people. She knew the story of Queen Esther, for example, who put her own life on the line in order to save the lives of her people. Mary knew her lineage, that she came from a long line of strong women, Ruth, Tamar, Rahab. Scott McKnight in his book goes on to say, Mary in faith consented to God's plan. Mary in faith began to carry a cross before Jesus was born. Mary began to suffer for the Messiah before even the Messiah suffered. And we know that Mary's story is intimately tied to Elizabeth's story, her relative. Because as Elizabeth became pregnant in her very old age, carrying John the Baptist, who then prepared the way uh, for Jesus. John chapter 1 tells us of how John the Baptist begins his ministry, and people often confused him for Christ, for the Messiah. But everything John the Baptist does and says only points people to Christ. Mary and Elizabeth, Jesus and John's stories are all part of the single divine purpose. As the ancient hopes treasured in the hearts of God's people are coming to fulfillment through these two women, through Mary and Elizabeth, one very old and one young, and through these babies whose stories are connected. And again, Mary's response of of may it be points us again toward Jesus. Other than asking a, a question of the angel of how can this even be since I'm a virgin, we don't see any other questioning or hesitation from Mary in this account. She's willing to let God use her. She doesn't have the details of the whole story. She doesn't know how this is all going to play out. She's not fully aware of all the hardship that she may face, and yet she still responds with joy, with willingness, with with submission, with uh, gratitude, with wonder. So this could be a story about God, how God invites God's servants to do hard things. Could be a story about what it means to be favored and blessed by God to be chosen and used by God. And it is all of those things. But again, this is a story about God and about how God chose to bring about the redemption of the world through his son, Jesus. And about how God used God's people to bring hope to the world by sending an angel to deliver this message to Mary, this young girl. I want to focus here on a few things that the angel says that I think are are significant in understanding uh, this passage Notice that the angel says twice that Mary is highly favored. And the, the initial greeting that, Mary, that the angel brings to Mary, he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And again, Mary knew that when she met with the angel Gabriel, how dangerous this mission was going to be. The angel told her that she would give birth to the Son of God. And the phrase Son of God was a phrase Mary would have been familiar with. Just a quick history lesson. Again, Scott McKnight tells us that she lived in the Roman Empire, ruled by Caesar Augustus. He was the one who called for the census that got Mary and Joseph sent to Bethlehem to be counted. 
Augustus was adopted by Julius Caesar, who was known as a god, and therefore Augustus was known as a son of God. So when Augustus took power in Rome, he ended the bitter civil wars and created what's known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And because he brought peace, he was known as its savior. His rise to power was declared as good news or gospel. So the gospel story out of Rome at that time was Caesar Augustus, son of God, our savior who brought peace to this whole world. And here we have an angel appearing to this young girl saying, you are going to carry the son of God. This was not a culturally or politically neutral statement (laughs) that the angel uh, brought to Mary. And yet the angel starts by saying, you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. Mary was promised that the Lord was with her because she was physically going to carry the Christ child in her body. But this was also a bigger promise that God was going to do something special in sending the Messiah to the world. God, in his promise, was going to be present to the world in a new way. This is no small promise. The assurance of the presentness of God sets the tone of what is to come. And this promise of not having to be alone for God's people is significant. And it brings strength and it brings courage um, to whoever would hear this promise that you are not alone. Um, Before doing this position at the Northwest Conference, I was a youth pastor for a number of years, and so young people are near and dear to my heart. And I always um, was encouraged by research that would show that uh, kids who were having a hard time in school or were bullied or picked on or whatever, if they just had one friend, life looked brighter for them. They didn't need a ton of friends, they just needed one. They needed one advocate, one one ally, one person to sit with at lunch, and the world would look brighter for kids who are having a hard time if they had just one person to know that they were not alone. We were all kids once, and you may not remember this exactly. I know kids, when falling asleep, often like to have a parent nearby. <laughs> Any of this true for, for your kids or your, you people who have children in your lives? Uh, there could be a, you know, a monster under the bed or something crazy like that, but if mom and dad were nearby, uh, suddenly it was, it was okay. I remember having... Um, spirited debates with my children, putting them to bed about what, what constitutes nearby. <laughs> For kids who are scared or, or feeling alone, nearby means in the bed with them. You are nearby. And I would try to make the logical argument that nearby, nearby could also mean at the bottom of the stairs. Or nearby could also mean finishing the dishes downstairs because I'm not going to let anything come into the house. I am nearby. Kids didn't always see it that way. They wanted nearby to be physically, physically nearby. And sometimes I think it's like that with God. God promises to be near, but doesn't always seem very near to us. God promises to be near. Um, And we, we rest in that promise and that trust and that assurance that God is with us. The Lord is with us. And that promise to Mary that the Lord is with you is just as true uh, to you and I today, that the Lord is near to us. Uh, Jewish people would have known these prophecies and promises of God and how this Emmanuel, which literally means God with us, indicates the nearness and presence of God in the world in a new way. This is a reassurance of comfort and peace in a physical, tangible form, a baby of all things. That whatever happens and whatever the angel will say next can be handled because the angel has first promised that the Lord is with Mary. Mary is not alone, and neither are we in this world. 
Next, the angel promises to Mary, he says, don't be afraid. Because Mary was afraid, an angel shows up to her and brings this message, and she responded with fear, and the angel says, you are favored and you're not alone. Don't be afraid. Again, this news from the angel meant a hard road ahead for Mary. A blessed road, for sure, but a hard road. She had been chosen to partner with God in God's redemptive plan for the world. This could involve public ridicule and shame, potential loss of her marriage, labeled an adulteress, dangerous travel to Bethlehem late in her pregnancy, being told there was nowhere to stay once she got there, no comfortable place to sleep, let alone have a baby, ultimately giving birth in a barn or a cave, however you read that or understand that, then a death order was put out for her child and all and other children uh, in, the, in the area where other baby boys were killed across the land by an evil ruler. Then fleeing with your husband to a new country and landing in Egypt as refugees. Raising this Christ child and all that comes with that. And then standing watch as his crucifixion that result, resulted in the salvation for humankind. Mary, did you know? <laughs> that song comes on the radio and we speculate about what? Of that, Mary knew. What did she know? And then I see parodies of, parodies of that song going around, you know. Of course Mary knew because it's all written out in Scripture, you know, and we can debate what she knew at that moment. But the reality was she was not given all the details of what was going to happen to her uh, when the angel came to Mary. She was given just the basics. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How often do we live in fear over the unknown of what's going to happen? I'll be honest and tell you, I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of different things. I don't really want to tell you about them because that's way too vulnerable. <laughs> and I don't like being vulnerable. But I realize that my fear over the unknown impacts my prayer life a lot. I find that when I pray to God, I often ask for clarity. I don't think asking for clarity is a bad thing. Because I just, but I find that I do this a lot because I want God to reveal to me what I'm supposed to do. And so I say, hey God, I've got this big decision to make or this thing coming up. Please bring clarity. Maybe you're praying this prayer about, about your church. I know there's big decisions on the line. You've got an interim pastor in place. You're wondering what the future is going to hold. And in times like this of uncertainty, we pray for clarity because we want to be in God's plan. We want to know what God's plan is for our lives, and so we're asking God to fill in the details, fill in the blanks. And I realize that when I'm praying for clarity, I just want God to, to fill in the blanks of what's supposed to happen. I don't, I don't want to mess it up. I'm saying fill in the details of my life, God, so I can plan accordingly. Because <laughs> in the absence of a clear plan, I tend to create these, these narratives, and, and I try to fill in the details myself. Because I feel like if I can know what's going to happen, I can, I can plan that way. And I try to plan my way out of these ambiguous situations. Um, and I will tell you that that is exhausting. Um, but I justify my thinking because I think, okay, I just want to be ready, God. I just want to be, um, I, I want to I be able to notice where you're at work. So just bring me clarity, please. I've come to realize, however, that maybe instead of praying for clarity, Perhaps I ought to pray for a deeper sense of trust in God. Instead of asking God to fill in all the details, maybe I ought to be praying for, God, just help me to trust you <laughs> with whatever's coming at me. 
Um, because sometimes, oftentimes, we don't get the information we want or the information we think we need to go forward. So we make up stories, like I mentioned earlier. We try to control the narrative to work things out in our favor. We can spend hours, days, lifetimes doing this. But I think this is just a way of us trying to take control back from God. You'll notice in the story that Mary doesn't get a ton of detail about how this is all going to go down. The angel tells her again that she's found favor with God, that she will conceive and give birth to the son. Mary does ask a clarifying question. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel basically responds with, God's going to handle those details. So she doesn't have a lot of the the filled-in parts of the story. And then the angel drops another doozy on her by saying, oh, and also Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a baby. And so the angel essentially answers her question of how can this be, but doesn't answer to the degree of detail that I wonder if someone in that situation would have wanted. The angel says, God's going to handle this. (laughs) This is how it's going to happen. So my question for all of us is how often do our prayers reflect a desire to stay in control of the situation? And might God be inviting us into a place of deeper trust and dependence on him, even in our prayer life? We don't need to fear the unknown because God is with us and God has invited us to not be afraid. Finally, the angel says to Mary that no word of God will ever fail. This was the long-awaited Messiah who brings justice and peace to a dark and hurting world. The ancient hopes treasured in the hearts of the Jewish people were now coming to fulfillment through this promise to Mary to carry the Christ child. And this was in the midst of an incredibly dark time. Jesus was not born into a neutral or peaceful time. It was dangerous. It was a dangerous ruler in place. And Jesus comes first and foremost to a vulnerable young woman who literally physically carries him into this world. And so when the angel promises that no word of God will ever fail, it's a reminder of the faithfulness of God, the generational faithfulness of God. People may need need to wait, wait a long time to experience God's faithfulness. People wait a lifetime. Sometimes we wait generations, and we don't always see it fulfilled in our lifetimes. In Hebrews 11, commonly called the roll call of faith in the New Testament, Scripture lists a whole line of faithful saints who lived by faith. And many of them didn't even live to see the promises of God come to fruition. Yet they claimed these promises of God that were given to them and to their people, and they lived faithfully their whole lives, even though they actually didn't see some of these come to fruition. And they're listed as ones who lived by faith that what God promised would come to pass. And God always fulfills God's promises because God is faithful. And this is what the angel is promising to Mary when the angel shows up uh, to Mary. So so Gabriel's coming to Mary in this moment, um, tells of the the presence of God uh, coming in a redemptive way to make things right. And no word from God uh, will ever fail. I'm reminded of the, of the hymn we often sing at Christmas time. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. 
As you, like Mary, treasure all of these things in your heart, I invite you to consider the assurances that God gives us in this season. The season of uncertainty, the season of wonder, the season of not knowing what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. And as you respond to the work and the presence of God in your life, I pray that we can all take comfort in these words of the Lord through the angel Gabriel to Mary. The Lord is near. Do not be afraid. And the word of God will never fail. This is just as true for you and me as it was for Mary back when the angel appeared to her in those days. May we all go forward with with peace. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, again, I thank you for the good news that your word provides. God, thank you for the assurances that you give us that we are not alone in this world, that we do not need to be afraid, and that your word will never fail because you are a faithful and true God. God, we know that you love us so very much. Help us to respond to your love by loving others well, by being uh, your voice of, of hope and peace and joy in this broken and hurting world. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. I pray that we can uh, treasure that uh, this Christmas season and live fully into all that you've called us to be. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.